Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson skulle jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Karlsson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who spent all morning telling myself I wasn't going to make a reference to myself in this intro related to how the Avs are defending champions and how I'm the defending a couple champions. Then I thought, well, whatever. Let me just revel in this one last time. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. And today, I am not joined by Brian. I am not joined by Ian Gooding. In fact, I'm not even going to be on the show for the majority of it because once again, I'm handing the mic over to the great Ben Burnett, who had a great conversation with Peter Baugh all about the NHL Stanley Cup defending champion Colorado Avalanche in the next installment of our Beat Writer interview series. Yeah, you thought the Beat Writer series was over. It's not. We've got Ben talking abs, and it's going to come to you in just a sec. Of course, first, let me mention a couple things. Keeping Carlson, probably presented by DauberHockey.com. We just gave away a few guides, uh, but if you didn't get one for free, it's not that much, okay? And it's going to help you out. So go to DauberHockey.com and get that world-famous Dauber Hockey guide that I talked with Ian Gooding about on the last episode. If you didn't check that episode out, this is the time to be subscribed to Keeping Carlson and be getting all of our episodes because we're doing our best to get you ready for draft season. We ditched more goalies board where we tiered all the goalies. We talked to Ian. Uh, ben and Lewis just dropped a great short shifts episode into the feed a day or two ago, depending on when you're listening to this, all about some late draft steals that you may want to be targeting. So yeah, if you want to be ready to dominate your leagues, be subscribed to Keeping Carlson on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Also, uh, we have passed the registration deadline for the Keeping Carlson Alt patron fantasy league but there is no deadline for registering for the wait list so if you still want to play like ah nuts i missed it uh you get on the wait list we might be able to fit you into a league like at the start of the season or if not then you'll get first dibs on if someone has to bail midway through you know we got like 500 plus people there's probably gonna be one or two people that have to bail unfortunately and then we'll be reaching out to whoever's at the top of the wait list so you know come sign up also you'll be able to join our awesome community of patrons where we're having a lot of fun over on discord and you get other perks we're going to do a patron cast next week we're going to answer all the patrons questions i've looked at the list it's a long list i think brian and i are going to do one of our longest ever patron casts next week so if you want to get in on all the fun check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron but okay with that let me hand the mic over to ben burnett and let's all sit back and enjoy some cup talk with peter baugh all about the avalanche enjoy Welcome back to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Beat Writer interview series. I am your host for tonight or today's episode. It's a beautiful afternoon here in the on the east coast of Canada. I am joined by uh, a distinguished writer for the Athletic Colorado. I presume that uh, they're joining me. He's joining me from Colorado. I'm not sure, but we have Peter Baugh back on the show to talk Colorado with us, the Colorado Avalanche. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? It sounds I'm hearing lots of birds on your end. Yeah, so I'm actually in in St. Louis, Missouri, where my parents are from. So I'm okay. I'm not in Colorado, but I will be very soon. You're not scoping out the enemy in the, in St. Louis or anything <laughs> like that. No, although they did sign Jordan Cairo while I was here, so they they knew I was here. But no, no. Uh, 
I've not been focusing too much on the blues while in, in St. Louis. I'm happy to hear that. I hope that you're getting a little bit of time off. I guess that the big thing that's uh, changed since you joined the program last year is uh, you covered a, a Stanley Cup championship run. That's uh, how, how was that experience? Yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty cool. It was definitely crazy and time consuming. And uh, yeah, but it was obviously a really incredible collection of players. Um, just you can tell that by the result they had. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun. Just like it, it, some good personalities on the team that led to some cool stories, I think. And it was yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of really good hockey. Saw a lot of the world's best players, both on the Avs and on i mean seeing a mckinnon mcdavid playoff series was pretty sweet seeing tampa was awesome um getting to come home for the st louis series was great um so it was it was a great time and uh yeah definitely it was a little sleep deprived by the end of it but i wouldn't have traded it no and uh, yeah i can uh i can understand that it sounds like um i i was doing this series the first couple interviews were during the the end of the playoffs so we were we talked a lot with uh, with athletic reporters and and other beat writers who I think were a little bit envious of, of your assignment because everybody <laughs> was just talking about how good that that Colorado Edmonton series was in particular, but also just how good these playoffs were. Yeah, I uh, I mean I thought that the Stanley Cup the first two games were both kind of or I guess the first well the first game was good and then there were two blowouts. Yeah, but then I thought games four, five, six were all excellent hockey games. And game one was a great game. So I think yeah. four out of six games being really good is a pretty good series. Absolutely. Um, and the abs are, you know, they've had some changes this offseason. A really interesting team from a fantasy perspective, because you obviously have these guys at the top. Um, and then you have all these underrated guys in the next tier that sort of are are maybe a little bit unheralded. And, and I think that it's uh, there's some interesting conversations for us to get into here. Um I actually re-listened to pieces of our interview from last year, uh, in particular because one of the things we discussed was whether there was anything besides health that could keep Kale McCarr from being a Norris Trophy winner. And you know, uh, credit to us and also yeah. uh, most people who, who who saw this, but we definitely agreed the recipe was there. So kudos, uh, first of all, to the two of us. But uh, you know, I, I do typically start these interviews chatting about forward groups. And the reason I wanted to start with Makar is today, the athletic puts out its annual NHL player tiers list and joining Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews at the top in the one, a tier was not uh, Nathan McKinnon, who I, I think most people who was there last year. Um, but it was, you know, the reigning Norris and Conn Smythe trophy winner, Kale McCarr, uh coming uh, off this incredible 86 point season. He's being recognized at that level too in fantasy leagues this year. He's going in the top five or six picks in most leagues. Um, and he's heading into his age 24 season. Lots of room for him to add to his game at this point, I think. Uh, so the only question I really have on Kale McCarr is whether you have any questions at this point about him heading into next year, or has he already proved everything he needs to prove that he's the current best D-man in the league in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think if he if he remains what he was last season for the next chunk of his career, then he's a no doubt hall of famer and is going to be an all time great player. I mean, last season was an incredible showing by a defenseman in this era. I think he had 28 goals and he actually would have had, if you could count the playoffs for his first, with, for his first 82 games, he had more than 30 goals, which a defenseman hasn't done since 
Mike Green, which obviously that doesn't count because some of them came in the playoffs. But <laughs> this is a guy who can can create scoring opportunities for himself and for others at such an elite level. And his defensive game has really improved. Like he's a he's a good defender at this point. And uh, so if you combine those two things, I mean, he's playing penalty killed more than a minute a game on average. And and I think that maybe there it, it is like he's still young and still getting better. So there there could be a, a different level just in terms of if he gets a little sharper defensively, maybe he trusts his shot a little bit more, is less hesitant to shoot. I mean, this could be a guy who scores 30 goals in a season as a defenseman, which is something we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really, you know, it's it's kind of the bummer of, of this interview series is that I don't want to spend too much time on these like no doubt players because uh, at listening back to our interview, um, we could we could, I'm sure, talk about Kel McCarr for for an hour and, and just enjoy it. Like he's just such a, a joy to watch play and and really fun to one of the players that makes the league particularly fun to watch at this point. Um, but, you know, the abs are not short on players like that. I'll, I'll jump to Nathan McKinnon next. And uh, I mentioned he slid out of the athletics one, a tier uh, down to tier one B and in reading the piece today, I, I, I'm fairly sure there's no one who doesn't think that he can't make it back there. I, I'm not sure if I said that right. I think everyone believes he has the skill to be a one, a player. Um, but there have been things that have kind of kept him from getting there. And in fairness, um, he doesn't have a heart trophy at this point. He hasn't yet topped a hundred points in a season though. He's come damn close and has paced for over 100 several times, just had some injuries that have knocked him out of some games. Um, the question I have about McKinnon, I guess, is that we sometimes see players like Braden point as a recent example, who hold, they start to learn to hold back in the regular season so they can turn it on in the playoffs and hit that next gear. And I'm wondering with McKinnon coming off his first Stanley Cup win, you know, in fantasy, unfortunately, we do not we don't get points for for the playoffs. So I'm just wondering if from a fantasy perspective, uh, do you see anything that might uh, what what you think his motivation level is? Do you think he pushes himself to hit that 100 point club for the first time? Or do you think he might be tempted to take it a bit easier knowing now how long the grind is? Yeah, I think it could be a bit of both. I mean, look, I think if Nathan McKinnon's healthy for 75 plus games, he's probably going to get to 100 points. And that's been the big thing that's kept him from from getting there in the past. I mean, this mm-hmm. year, his his number, he was scoring at a really high pace. He just missed a lot of time. And yeah, he he wasn't having the season of Matthews or McDavid did. And, but he he's still in a very, very elite player who's going to score at a really high level. So I, I wouldn't have any hesitancy drafting him really high, especially considering the, the team he plays with and the, the level of players around him. Um, but I think that, that yeah, I, I'm curious how knowing Nathan a little bit, I, I, I don't really think that like he's going to want to take it easy, you know, like he's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a competitive guy. It's not mm-hmm. really in his nature to, to be like, all right, I'm going to rein it back in. Maybe there's some subconscious things, maybe like defensively, he probably played. I mean, he was blocking shots in the third period of game six of the cup. I'm not sure he's going to be doing that in like game 43 against Arizona, but mm-hmm. And that, and nor should he like that. That's probably not the team probably doesn't want him going all out, risking injury in ways like that. But I think that I, I, I think that for, for this season, he's, he's, I'm sure he'll have plenty of motivation. Either he'll have a new contract set or he'll be 
playing on a contract year. And I don't know, that's plenty of motivation too. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think in fairness too, if if he were to hold back, I think we'd be talking about a difference of like, maybe he'd go from a 115 point pace player to a 110 point, you know, I, I don't think. Yeah. Be, yeah. So I, I'm definitely not worried about Nathan McKinnon's production overall. And he's going in the top four in drafts. And I think that's about right for him. Um, and, and then to, to Colorado's credit, uh, looking at the top 10 in fantasy drafts this year, the Oilers and the Leafs both have two players going in that, in that top 10 range. The Avs have three though, with Makar McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. Um, and despite putting up the Mitch Marner type numbers, Rantanen's profile around the league still seems much lower than the other superstar right wingers. Um, do you think that he has another gear that would allow Rantanen to kind of push McKinnon like Nikita Kucherov has done in Tampa, you know, to be sort of a, to maybe give him a bit of competition as the one, a superstar in, in uh, Colorado. Yeah. I mean, I think it's tough because McKinnon plays center and that's such a valuable yeah. position. Um, but I do think, I think Rantanen is an elite, elite winger. And I, I think really highly of him and his game. Um, I think that maybe there could be a little bit of, I don't know if he, this is all like anecdotal. I haven't looked at like mm-hmm. the data or, or whatever. It felt like at points in the 2020, 21 season, it felt like maybe he was scoring a little more easily. So I could see if he gets to, back to that level. And I mean, he was probably going to be an hundred point player last year. He got sick at the end of the year and missed like a few games and was not a hundred percent for the last game. He was still coming off this, this illness he had. And, um, he, he like, he easily could have been in a hundred point guy. And I expect him to be at that level again. I, I just wonder if maybe there's another, another gear with goal scoring. Cause when he's on in that way, he can score in so many different ways. Cause he's got a really good shot. He's got a really good backhand and he's just a really dangerous player. Every time he's on the ice, especially, if he's on a line with McKinnon and Landeskog, which I'm curious how that'll work this year, if they'll have them together separate or, or what, but either way, he's going to put up a lot of points. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting point about sort of Rantanen's dominance as a goal scorer. And you mentioned the backhander. That's kind of the, the piece that when you watch him play, he's, he's a winger obviously. So he's not the, he's not a one-to-one comparable with an Evgeny Malkin, but and I don't think Crosby and McKinnon have, you know, obviously there are comparables there just biographically, but I, I don't think that they're, they're clearly not identical uh, NHL players with, you know, the speed of McKinnon and, and the the grind of, I guess they both are similarly grindy. Anyway, my point is more so that, yeah, Rantanen does kind of remind of Malkin with the the dominant backhand and, and the, the size, his ability to sort of, you know, back people down and, and, and make them make defenders look look tiny with when he has the puck on a stick. Yeah. That's actually funny. You brought up Malkin. I know Landeskog has kind of talked about Malkin in comparison to Rantanen before mm. and how they're kind of similar, similar players. Okay. And Rantanen can play a little bit of center. I, I just think that probably the abs for, there were points where I was like, well, maybe he becomes the two C mm-hmm. and I think he'd be fine there. But I think it's like, if you have an elite, elite winger, or maybe you just keep him at. I'm sorry, Peter. What was that noise? <laughs> sorry, there's a motorcycle that just went past okay. me. I wanted um, to stop you because it sounded more like a. It sounded a little flatulent. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just a motorcycle. I promise. 
I I trust you. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the I think that Rantanen is like he could play center, but if you have an elite winger and his, I think that's probably where his value is most. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to talk about the second line and, and how things might line up for the abs next year. But I, I want to I want to mention Landeskog first and um, in particular, you know, the injury towards the end of last year. He misses the last 23 games of the regular season with a knee injury, returns for the playoffs, looks excellent, has 22 points in 20 games, um, you know, point per game numbers from a guy who's not always a point per game player tends to imply that he was he was playing without the injury nagging at him but you know when he was when Jared Bednar was asked about the injury last spring he said it was a knee that was getting worse and, and that prompted surgery for Landeskog I'm just wondering if you have any idea whether he's back to 100% heading into the season just because it's easy to get freaked out about a knee surgery and and so yeah I'm just I'm curious about sort of the the concern level there well I think he was still recovering from it in the playoffs if you look mm-hmm. in that Edmonton series like his knee was still bugging him and he was playing some of the best hockey of his career. But I think that like you look at, there was a play in the Edmonton series where he, um, I think he kind of drove cash in into the boards, but he went down too and he was grabbing his knee. So I, that, that knee, like I think was still bugging him as the, as the playoffs were going on, but I think he played really well and now has had a summer to kind of, let fully let it recover it wasn't like an acl surgery or anything like that it was more of a minor touch-up i don't have the exact details of what it was but i know it wasn't like a an acl it was just they it wasn't getting better as the season progressed and they wanted to to get in front of it so that he could be ready for the playoffs and that's what ended up happening so not really concerned uh moving forward you're thinking that the offseason should take care of that yeah i don't I, I, I don't, that's not a concern I've had when kind of thinking about how this team will be. I mean, obviously you, I don't know if you could re-aggravate it or what, but I, I think it's, I mean, he was such a good player last year, both in the regular season and in the, in the playoffs that it doesn't lead me to be super concerned, especially if they've done the surgery to kind of get it back to where it's supposed to be. And so the Avs, uh, move, moving on here, the Avs have lost a marquee player in free agency. They also have one of the more interesting goalie tandems ahead of the 2023 yeah. fantasy season. I want to talk about oh, both another of those. motorcycle, just so you know. <laughs> what you are you in? Is that is Missouri the capital of motorcycles? Not really. I don't know why there, there's just been a couple on this walk that I've gone past. Okay. Uh, Before we get into those topics, though, we're going to take a very quick break. We'll be back with Peter Ba of The Athletic. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. We're joined by Peter Ba of The Athletic. Peter, we were just chatting about the Avs uh, top three, the big top three there, McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog up front. Uh, but the the number four player on this team last year, Nazem Kadri, has this breakout season in 2022, uh, posts 87 points in 71 games from the second line, and then winds up leaving for Calgary in the offseason in what was a very protracted free agency saga. Um, at one point, I, I started to think, at the, at the beginning of the offseason, it seemed like Kadri was for sure gone. But then the longer at the free agency period lasted, I started to think maybe he's giving the Avs time to, to make space for him to come back. I'm wondering, you know, first of all, with Kadri, if you have a sense of what Joe Sackick was doing to try and bring him back next year. 
Yeah, they wanted him back. I think that the thing is, is that Tadri was always going to be able to get more money um, elsewhere than he was in Colorado. Just if you look at the way Colorado's cap is constructed and also just the front office's history of how they handle players who are over 30. I mean, you, if you remember last offseason, the Landeskog deal took a long time to come together because yeah. the Avalanche front office was was really, I guess, careful or, or really, I guess, hesitant to, to go all in on a guy who the majority of the contract is going to be on the wrong side of 30. Um, and I think they're happy that they did because they needed him to win the Stanley Cup. Um, and, and all cap will go up at some point, but I think Cadre was like, it was good enough for that. So I'm kind of losing you here, Peter. Sorry. Sort of losing you. Sorry. Um, all right. Let me go back to where I was. Um, we can cut this out. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Okay. Same with the, when I, when I told you, it sounded like it sounded a little farty uh, from the motor. Yeah. <laughs> you can keep, you're free to keep that. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> um, all right. Is this better? Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Um, I'll try and stay on this street. Um, so the, I was saying it was always going to be tough for them to bring Kadri back just with, with their general philosophy as a front office of how they kind of view players who are going to be on the, older side of 30 and then also just i think that it was with the cap situation with mckinnon's contract coming up it was it was going to be tough and so they also say goodbye to andre burakovsky uh mm-hmm. Kadri's line mate last year um and so now the avs have to kind of retool one of the team's bigger advantages which was that elite second scoring line um we talked a little bit about Landeskog and whether he might move down or, or how they, they might try to split things up over the, across the top six. I'm curious how you see the team replacing Kadri's minutes on the power play and also who you see fitting in uh, for Kadri and Burakovsky on the second line. The second line should be really interesting because I could see Jared Bednar splitting up the Landeskog McKinnon Rantanen line as he did throughout the playoffs. The problem is there's not a center like Kadri on the second line. So it's, it, it would potentially take away some production from either Landeskog or Randon if they're moved down, but also both of those guys are good playmakers themselves and can create offense from the wing position. But I think you could see maybe a Landeskog McKinnon Natrushkin first line and a second line of like Lackanen Rodriguez Rantanen, or you could see something where um, they just have a really good checking second line of, of Lackanen Rodriguez, Nichushkin. And I think that that could work well. And I also think that this is, this team is not a finished product. Like they're going to be adding at the trade deadline. I think that there's still pretty clearly room for another top six forward. And I think that they'll probably be, be looking for someone to fill that void and, and that could, could completely change the landscape. There's also Alex Newhook who could have a breakout year and, and could prove that he's ready for second line responsibility. He he's shown flashes in the past. Uh, but he's still 21, and and this could be a chance where he, he can kind of really solidify himself in that way. And so what about on the top unit where, you know, Nazem Kadri obviously benefited from from his role there, and it seems like there could be uh, another Colorado player who who has a chance to to bolster their totals heading into next year if they're able to to lock down that spot. Yeah, so the Avs power play was really rolling in the playoffs um, even when Kadri was out and last year they had Lekanen kind of take his spot there. 
because he's such a good puck retriever. It just felt like the puck never left the offensive zone because he would always get it in the kind of the 50-50 areas. So I could see him remaining on the top unit. Or I think Evan Rodriguez could have a chance. He's a right shot. And I, I know some of the Avs analytics from two years ago showed that Jonas Donskoy had a lot of success in the bumper roll just essentially because he was a right shot. Like it, it worked out that the puck would come to him in the right areas with where he had his stick. So I, I could see maybe Rodriguez for that reason. And then I think Lacan, I would say Lackanen and Rodriguez are the favorites. I think um, the other thing that I find really interesting about this offseason for the Avs is bringing back Nishushkin on the deal that they gave him, which is an eight year deal, giving him over six million per. I think it's kind of it reminds me a little bit of the the Cairo deal that that we talked about uh, earlier when you mentioned you're in St. Louis, um, where maybe the the general public, the, the folks who aren't dialed in and following the whole league are almost a bit surprised to see teams ready to give these players so much money, not realizing how important they are to their teams. Um, you know, despite the fact that Nishushkin puts up a 30 goal and 60 point pace over a full season, a lot of his value is in his two-way game. And so once the Kadri $7 million deal is announced, I think it's really interesting to wonder about that decision to bring Nishushkin back instead of the, you know, the almost 90 point star second center. What do you think it is that made Sackett go with, with the winger in this instance? Yeah, well, he's a lot younger. I mean, Kadri's going to be 32 at the start of next season. Nishushkin's going to be 27, I think. So there's a lot more youth there. And he's, he's really, like you said, really, really good defensively, really important to what the team does in that regard. And he's got a lot of good offensive instincts. This was a guy who went 10th overall in 2013 in the NHL draft. And he, he really struggled in Dallas at points, but has found his footing in Colorado and has gotten better year after year. So this is kind of a bet by Colorado that he can be at least the player he was this past year and if not, maybe even give them a little bit more. He's one of the hardest workers on the team, so I don't think there's any concern that like he's going to get complacent now that he has a big deal. Not that there would have been concern with that with Kadri either, but I think with Nichushkin, it's it's something that they know he's driven and he's he's going to be really determined to to live up to this this contract. And they're paying for the front half of the contract. I mean, I think this is they know their contention window. Um, they're paying for the first two years of, but like. His prime production years, they're getting him at $6 million, which is, is for an elite second liner slash maybe a guy you can play on the first line. I think that's, that's probably worth the deal. I mean, this is a, they, you could really see a first line of Lannis Guard McKinnon, Nachushkin this year. And if you're paying $6 million for a good top line winger, you'll do that. Yeah, I think um, I think that makes so much sense. And especially, you know, looking at sort of the terms of the contract where they give them they, they sign them for the eight years and they give them the no move clause early on, which I think, you know, these are the type of concessions that you make to try and bring down an AAV when you're hoping that the guy that you sign will wind up being more like an eight million dollar value uh, over the lifetime of the deal. It, it certainly seems like a bet by the front office and it seems like a really smart one to me. Um, speaking of Nishushkin and sort of the, the way that the top two lines could be, could be, could shake out. I think it's really interesting to hear you say that Rantanen could be on line two, because I think that's the sort of thing that if it was rumored to start the off season, I don't think that Rantanen is going as high as he is in fantasy drafts and, and hearing it, you know, mid September, I'm not sure that a lot of folks will, 
I, I think that's going to freak out some listeners in terms of folks who are already into their drafts or looking ahead. Um, but I, you know, on the flip side, I think that the concept of Nishushkin being a top line, top power play guy, like that to me is somebody who could put up 75 points next year, you know, yeah. in the right situation. And I don't know for sure that that's what's going to happen. Right. With Brandon. I just know that at points in the playoffs, when Bednar split up the top line, it was either to have Lekkanen and Rantanen with McKinnon or Nachushkin and Landeskog with McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all know how to play each other. But the thing is, is like there's going to be injuries too throughout the years. And as soon as like Rantanen is going to get a lot of ice time and he's going to mm-hmm. get a good amount of ice time with McKinnon, he's going to be on the top power play. So he's going to, he's going to get his points. And yeah, Nutrishkin could be a guy who also is is filling in on the top line in a really important role and and could also score a lot of points. Yeah, I'm not worried about Rantanen being productive next year. Maybe I'd worry about taking him as high as like one of the top 10 players, but you know, I wouldn't let him drop much further because he has that upside and because I think that he can he can do what Jonathan Huberto did. Um, and or what Artemi Panarin does, and, and be a, an above a point per game guy from a team second line. That's that's not something I worry about with him. Yeah, I think that's a good good outlook. Um, let's jump to the defense next. Uh, and I, I'm sort of this question I know is a bit convoluted, but bear with me. You know, I'm noticing a bit of this pattern of of players that don't get the respect they deserve. And, and Devon Taves is the obviously who I'm going to mention here, um, who I see, you know, I, I'm sure you do as well, a bonafide number one caliber D-man who's just on a stacked team and therefore does not necessarily uh, get the national recognition that you might you might hope for. Um, but he also misses a chunk of time to start the year last year, which ends up depressing his counting stats for the entire season because he, he missed those 15 or 16 games. Um, but when he does come back from the injury, he is scoring at a ridiculous clip, uh, despite minimal power play time on ice. Taze finishes with 57 points in 66 games, a 71-point pace, which is absolutely unheard of for a, a non-power play one defenseman in the NHL. Um, there are some warning signs here, though, and, and in particular, it's the fact that behind Devontae's, the Av- Avs have one of the most hyped young defensemen in the NHL. Bowen Byram. Um, they also have another very talented and capable offensive D-man in Sam Girard. So the Avs can get their money's worth from Devon Taves, I think, at even strength and on the penalty kill and, you know, not even need to use them on, on power play too. And they're, they're still probably getting the value for that contract. Um, but like I said, a bit convoluted here, but I'm, I'm just wondering if you see things staying the same for the Avs blue line next year, or if you think there might be a bit of a shakeup. Um, hopefully Byram obviously is, is healthier next year. And, and if he takes the step forward that, that we might expect from him, I, I think it could be really interesting and have a big impact on, on Devon Taves's uh, offensive production. Yeah. I mean, like Byram was awesome in the playoffs and especially in the cup he led all players in the stanley cup in five on five ice time um really really good player really dynamic offensive um and held up defensively so i kind of view it as probably it's going to be some jared bednar is very comfortable mixing and matching defensemen um like maybe taves mccarr start a game together but maybe byram's getting more minutes with mccarr at certain points in the game and they if they like how gerard and and Taves are playing together, but I bet it's like they could end up having just like three defensemen get top pairing level minutes, just kind of spread out in different ways. Like Taves, I would imagine they'll still have him on the second power play unit because he has a really good shot and they like having that shot there. Um, 
maybe he's not. Maybe he loses a little bit of time with Makar if Byram is is thriving. But he's still going to get... I mean, I, I imagine the season will start with Taze and Makar. It's the pairing that that won them a Stanley Cup. You know, like that's that's the top pairing they have. And he's going to be on the ice in important situations, especially end-of-game situations where empty net goals count for fantasy points. And he's going to be on the ice when when they're protecting leads. So he should be... I, I think his point production will, is at least maybe not quite to the degree of this past season, but it's definitely sustainable. It's like he's going to have score a lot of points. And then looking at Bowen Byram, I mean, the question when you have a guy as good as Kale McCarr is what can you offer Bowen Byram, who in his own right looks like he might be a superstar shortly. Uh, What do you see his role on this team like over the next few years? Yeah. I mean, we'll see how he progresses because it's like, we still have such a small sample size. If he's what he was in the Stanley cup final, then he's going to play a whole lot and he's going to score a whole lot. He's going to collect a lot of assists. He could have easily had a few goals in a Stanley cup and in the playoffs in general, like he he's a really dynamic player. Um, but it, that's a, still a pretty small sample size. I I'm a Byron believer. I think if he's healthy, he's going to be really, really good. Um, but that's something he'll have to, he'll have to do. He'll have to show that he can stay healthy and, and for his sake, hopefully he can, because he's had a, a rough go with, some of the concussions, I think they feel like they've maybe gotten into the clear in that regard, but, um, and I, I hope they have, cause he's a good, good kid. And also just like that's scary stuff health wise. But I, I think that that's kind of the big question for him. You're right. It, it's really concerning to see a kid of Bowen Byram's age. Um, not, not because of the talent, but just, you know, the age for him to have the, the type of injury history that he has is just, it's one of those guys that you, you you can feel yourself worrying about for non-hockey reasons. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully the concussions are are under uh, under control. Um, we're going to jump next to the goaltending uh, where very interesting dilemma here. Joe Sackick bring or from fantasy perspective anyway, I'm, I'm wondering to what extent you think this is a dilemma for the avalanche. Joe Sackick brings in Alexander Georgiev. Uh, known for uh, punching Tony D'Angelo off the New York Rangers <laughs> roster, um, was a really rough year for the Rangers. This was mentioned on on a recent uh, goalie ranking episode of of keeping Carlson. But obviously, he's coming to an Avs team that knows how to protect a goalie. Uh, I think maybe the Rangers got used to playing in front of uh, an Igor Shostyorkin type, and then when Georgiev would come in, it, it was a bit challenging for him. But He's joining Pavel Vrancos, whose stats are more or less average last year. He he came into the league and, and was putting up really high results, but last year a little bit more down to earth, uh, despite being six and zero in the playoffs last year um, with a nine oh six save percentage. I think it goes to show just how dominant uh, Colorado was in the playoffs. Um, but I think the big question on everyone's mind about this Abs team, at least from a fantasy perspective, is whether we can expect one of these guys to take the reins and, and who you think it might be. I mean, they're going into the season with George as their starter. That's what that's what Sackick said when they traded for him. They traded for him to be their starter. I think it's probably a little less of a. I mean, I think with with Kemper, it was pretty clear he was going to be the one, and he was going to get some run. I, I wonder if if maybe there's a bit of a, a it's a little bit more up for grabs this year. But I think Georgiev is is pretty clearly the guy they envisioned being being the number one. And like you said, he's going to be in a lot more goalie friendly system than maybe the Rangers had. And, and I think they think that he will play better 
um, with more playing time and more opportunity, like he was maybe lacking some of that in New York. And, and I think they think that he'll, he'll, uh, he'll be able to, to find more of a groove with, with the abs this year. So we'll see if that comes to be, I think that both goalies are, I mean, I, I think Franco's is kind of a perfect one B and the question is just if Georgiev is, is good enough to be a one A. Do you think Franco's is, is comfortable with the arrangement? Do you think that he might, do you think that I, I could understand, you know, kind of being a, a little bit disappointed that you don't get the shot when it's a guy who hasn't really established himself in the league coming into, to, to, you know, with, with Kemper, it was obviously a guy who he he's struggled with injuries in the past, but had also, you know, been considered a, a possible Vesna candidate at, in his, in his, at his high. Um, but with Georgiev, it's, it's a guy who really hasn't shown that, that level. Yeah, I mean, I think look, Francis signed for a, a contract extension midseason this past year for two years at two million a year, and that's not that's not starter money. And yeah, that's I true. think Pablo Francis's representation knew that and clearly were comfortable with. Like he he really likes Colorado. He he talked about in a recent interview back in check in Czechia, like how how much he he loves Colorado, and I I think that. I think he's probably pretty comfortable with it. And he's not a guy who's going to like make a stink of, of being the number two, especially if Georgiev's playing really well. And so finally, I just wanted to, I, I always try to ask a little bit about what's coming in the future for, for these teams. And uh, looking at the abs, I think, you know, there's a, a player like Martin Kaut who, who sort of stands out on the abs prospect pipeline. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask if there are any names that stand out to you as having the potential to to make this team or be a meaningful fantasy contributor over the next uh, the next year or the next few years. Yeah, I think it depends on how big people's leagues are. I think it's it's a bit of an interesting roster because a lot of their best young like prospectish players are currently in the NHL with Byram and Newhook. Um, Cout didn't do much offensively when he was up in his his recent most recent stint he looked okay defensively but i i don't know if he's necessarily someone i'd count on for like big scoring numbers ben myers should be interesting he he'll probably be in a either maybe third line maybe fourth line role um but he's a college free agent out of minnesota that was one of the top ranked college free agents so if the abs are able to get excuse me another motorcycle um, if the abs are able to get, it's the same one I've determined. Um, if the abs are able to get, um, something out of, out of him or Lucas Sedlak, if either of them can be like a 12 goal scorer, like that would go a long way for the abs kind of replenishing some of their scoring departed scoring. Excellent. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time. And I, I can tell from the last uh, however long we've been chatting that you've been surrounded by motorcycles. I'm, I'm hoping that, <laughs> you know, it's not a surrounding gang of, of, of approaching you, but thank you so much for joining us. And, and I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about where people can uh, find your work. Yeah, I write for the athletic, so you can go to the athletic.com and look at the app section. We've got a lot of stuff about the Evan Rodriguez signing recently. Um, plus some other, interesting stuff i think from the past few weeks about mckinnon's cup day and and things like that we'll we'll definitely be ramping up more as we get into training camp excellent i'm really excited to tune in for the abs training camp especially after this chat i feel like you gave us a lot to a lot to look forward to and a lot to keep our eye on when it comes to 
uh, the wines and, and everything in, in Colorado ahead of the new year. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, good luck with the, the, the title defense season, I guess. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for having me.